church on Sunday mornings during our conference, our missions thought, and uh, next Sunday morning, I'm excited that Pastor Williams will be bringing the morning message on missions to pastoral staff this month, trying to encourage the church regarding faith promise missions. Uh, I'm just a little bit intimidated with Brother Sal here today. I love him. He's a great preacher, great ministry. I've known him forever when we were both young. He went to Toledo and started that church, and I think he had like three buildings he moved out of and then started that great, that great building uh, there on 23 Airport Road in Toledo. And, uh, and they chose a good pastor. Brother Marshall is now the pastor. We had Caleb uh, Cheedy in the uh, choir banquet the other night. Boy, he did a great job. He's over youth there now in the, in the uh, music ministry. But brother, so I'm going to do my best. You're making me nervous. Don't leave, but I'm just going to do my best. I just want to know one thing. All these years, you've—I think you lived in Michigan, pastored in Ohio, and are you still a Michigan man or are you a Buckeye? Oh, I love you. I love you, brother. And you know what's great about a man like him? Live pastoring in Toledo, and it didn't affect him. He kept his senses. Amen. So praise the Lord for that. And uh, we're moving on. Uh, ladies, great job. Thank you for that song. Jonah chapter 1, and we're just going to read the first three verses and get into our, our message today. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Rise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it and, uh, to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I want to preach a little thought today on a, just, a, just a brief look on a reluctant missionary. A reluctant missionary. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to preach the, this message. And I pray, God, that uh, you give me the liberty to preach it as you gave it to me. And I pray that it will help us all. And Lord, if there's somebody here today and they're not saved, they don't know Jesus as personal Savior, they've not been born again, I pray, dear Holy Spirit, that you'd, you'd convict them, you'd draw them unto Jesus. And I pray again for the saints. Lord, help us with this message. We are your ambassadors. We're your missionaries in this world. And Lord, too often we're reluctant. We're like Jonah. We're trying to flee our responsibility. So, Lord, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, throughout the years, I've had the privilege of being, of course, in ministry, and, and I've seen a lot of people called of the Lord. I've seen a number of people surrender their lives and go to mission fields, many, some out of our own ministry, men in the, missionary, uh, in the, in the field, 
of service for the Lord, pastoring some missionaries out of our church. And, and I've seen God call people and into his harvest field. What a blessing is to watch them surrender, to develop themselves for the work of the Lord. And it's a blessing sometimes for an understanding uh, that the Lord gives them, that he wants them to do something different with their lives. And I shared the other day to the church on Wednesday night that it's been a burden on my heart that we might see some people surrender to the Lord's work, not just in teaching Sunday school and singing in the choir and, and going on the bus routes and going door to door. That, that's fine. That's good. But if God is calling someone to a specific work like missions or evangelism or pastor, pastor's wife, teaching, uh, that, that, that's a great calling of God. And it just seems like we don't see it as much as we used to see it. And I'm just burdened that we would see somebody step forward and step out for the Lord. And I've had this on my heart for, for several months, and the Lord gave me this thought here. Here we see a man that's called of God, and he realizes there's something more. Listen, folks, there's nothing wrong with staying in a local church and working a job and doing what God has gifted you to do. You might work for a company, you work for, your, for yourself. You, 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 you might be in a, in a medical field, you might be in a number of different uh, types of occupations. But you know, sometimes God wants somebody to do something different for him. Those things are good, don't get me wrong. We need those spots filled. But just attending church and doing a small thing, maybe we might say for the Lord, living out our daily schedules, but if God's will is for somebody to step out and serve God in a different, unique, special way in ministry, that's a good thing too. And oftentimes I think our young people are not, they're not getting that excitement and that enthusiasm and that, and that challenge that they too could be used of the Lord in these fields, called of God for special duty, I might say. Now, again, Raising a family and working a daily job and supporting your local church and supporting There's nothing wrong with that. Please don't get me wrong here. That's noble. That's good. But it just concerns me as so many people say no to God concerning ministry. Because I've seen that. I've seen God call somebody and they don't want to give up the job. They call somebody and they want to give up the family. Call somebody and they, and they don't want to have the sacrifices that go along with being in, the, we call it full-time ministry for the Lord. We're all in full-time ministry, folks. But you know what I mean, being, going in pastoring, going in planting churches, going in evangelism, going into to missions, these type of things, teaching for the Lord, getting on a church staff and serving the Lord and serving God's people. It's so important. And it just seems like so many people said, no, no, thank you, that's not for me. And I'm convinced that God has called people that are not willing to go. And we ought to work jobs, and we ought to labor to sustain life. God's for work. You remember the Lord himself. God himself worked six days in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. He rested on the seventh day. I'm not a Sabbatarian, but I do wish more of God's people would take God's day important. And this is a pretty good church on that way. Then I can't, I, I can't scold anybody concerning that matter. But sometimes I, I, I feel some of God's people, some of God's people just look for an opportunity to get out of church or to make more money, put more aside, have more stuff rather than honor the Lord on his day. And listen, I want to say this. I'm not a hypocrite. I'm glad certain people work on Sunday. If I had an emergency, I'm glad I can go over to the hospital and there'll be some doctors there and nurses there. I'm glad that the Edison guys go out when the power's out. Praise God. I just want them to come to my house first. That's all I want. 
It doesn't work that way. I know some pretty important guys, but it doesn't work that way. But anyway. But I'm grateful that there are people in our community serving our community. You know, fire department, I'm glad they, they, have, they work Sundays. And again, doctors and nurses, law enforcement, uh, first responders, emergency workers, this is all great. So I'm not going to be a hypocrite and say, bless God, you ought to be in church always. Some people serve their community. Some people have to go and take care of these responsibilities. But I'm not for God's people just getting out of church. Now, y'all did good today. Give your, you should give yourself a hand. You're in church. God bless you. But some have already decided what they're going to do tonight. And, I mean, I went Wednesday night. You know, pastor's gone. You know, that old, uh, while the cat's away, the mice will play. Now, most of you are not like that, but some are. I used to pastor a few people. They, if I wasn't in the pulpit, they didn't have to be in the pulpit. If I was gone somewhere preaching, they, they'd just stay home. Well, listen, I didn't mind if they went somewhere preaching too, but they ought to be in church no matter who's in the pulpit. Amen. That's good preaching. Thank you, Pastor Brown. We needed that. I know it. But God's for work. God's for employment. Amen. God wants us to get great satisfaction in labor. God, again, he has disciples that he chose. He had disciples that he chose that were hardworking men. They were, they were industrious. They had a fishing business. Matthew said at the seat of customs, he worked for his community, worked for his government. God didn't call lazy people. And when God calls somebody in the ministry, he didn't call them to have a lazy ministry. A lot of people think that. I remember Jack Kyle saying, somebody says, oh, you just work one day a week. He said, no, I work a day and a half. I preach Wednesdays too. <laughs> people are just ignorant of, of schedules of men of God. But, but I'll tell you what, it's not for lazy people. It's not for people that are indifferent. It's not for people that don't want to get something done. Paul was a tent maker. And I could go on and on and on and talk about Paul and how churches ought to take care of God's men. But Paul said, you know, there was, just a, there was just one church that took care of him in his time of need. And he would work if he had to. And he did in order that the gospel went forth. But I'll tell you, uh, I thank God for this church. You've taken care of your pastor all these years and our assistant pastor and our, our other staff. And you, you're good givers. And I thank God for you. But listen, God's for work. I'm for work. But how about doing God's work? God's work is important. God shows us in the scriptures that he respects labor. And uh, I have so many points here that I'm just going to pass them by and get to my main thought. God is for earning a wage. He's for attaining wealth. You've heard me say many times, I see a tithing member of my church, and they're, they're generous, and they're giving to others. They're benevolent, and, and they get a new car. Maybe they got two cars. Maybe they got a boat. Maybe they got an RV. Maybe they got a home up north or down in Florida. But listen, they're faithful. I'm glad for that. I think that's great. What bothers me is people try to attain all those things and then forget about God. They don't care about missions. They don't care about tithing. They don't care about the building and so forth. But be faithful to those things. God's for work and God's for generosity. God's for giving to other people's lack. Hebrews 13, 16. But to do good and to communicate, that word communicate means to give or support or help. Forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosoms. For with the same me uh, measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. So God is for work. He's for giving. He doesn't want us to be lazy and lack and slothful. In our mentality. God's not for the local church or me as an individual Christian or you to give money to people who will not work. 
We live in a society that has a welfare mentality. People got a handout all the time rather than get a job. God's not for the deadbeat and the sloth and the lazy not to have responsibility. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, For even when you uh, were with, uh, I was with you, uh, this we command you to do, that any of you would not work, neither should he eat. Neither should he eat. And I'm for helping people when they're down. I don't understand our system right now. I've often thought, why don't we just help people, but they go get a job, and then we supplement their income based on what they've done that week, and not just give them a paycheck so they can stay home. That's not God's will. Well, it's quiet, but that's true. That's the Bible. I just preached the Bible to you. I said, God's for work. God called Jonah out of a life of work into his field. He looked at Jonah and he said, there's a man I can use. He said, oh, Jonah must have been a mistake. No, he wasn't a mistake. He was qualified. He did a great job eventually when he got with the program. But Jonah was called to go to Nineveh to evangelize the lost in Nineveh. Those who didn't want anything to do with Jehovah God. They didn't even know Jehovah God. They were into all their lifestyle. They were into all their other gods. But God expected his called and provided for servant to obey him and keep his command. His command was to go to Nineveh and what? Preach, he said. And in Jonah chapter 3, verse 2, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. There was a message God wanted to preach. You know what the message was? Judgment. You read chapter 3. We can't go through the whole book. Read chapter 3. God said, you go up there and preach. He didn't want to preach, but finally got at it. He preached God's message. And then they had a revival. And that revival lasted, historians say, for over 200 years. Now that's a revival. God called Jonah to preach. It's estimated there was over a million people in that city at the time that Jonah came and preached. And he came in preaching repentance. And he came in preaching faith. And he came in preaching get right with God. And he came in preaching that God was going to bring judgment. And revival broke out. Thank God for preachers who preach the bidding of God. They don't worry about the crowd. Just preach the message. And let God deal with all the fallout. Amen. Jeremiah was told several times, you know, these people aren't going to listen to you. But you preach. Told Isaiah, cry aloud, spare not. Hey, a preacher that is called of God needs to preach the message God gives him. And of course, Jonah was not faithful. But God doesn't give up on him. God called you. God hadn't given up on you, even though you may. There may be somebody in here, maybe a few of you, you've been running from the call of God. God loves you. He wants to use you, and he's gifted you. And you've got to quit being a reluctant missionary and doing what God wants you to do. God takes and uses imperfect people, reluctant service, servants, and brings, to, uh, brings them into his glorious work. I'm so glad God called me to preach years ago. When I first got called, it scared me to death, and I was running from it. But I'm glad God gave me the good enough sense to surrender. Amen. It's been a pleasure. It's been wonderful. What a high office. But God has something for you to do, perhaps. Some of you may be not called to be a pastor, an evangelist, a missionary, some of the things I'm talking about today, but he's called you to work in your local church. The Bible says the, the Holy Spirit's given gifts severally as he wills. 
in the body, to serve the body and to serve Christ. Are you serving Christ? Are you serving the body here at Parkview Baptist Church? It's so important you do what God's called you to do. God is still calling his servants. And God is still blessing them and helping them and magnifying them so they can do his good work. We need to see conversion of sinners. We need to see disciples matured in the faith, discipled, amen. We need to have a greater understanding of the scriptures so we can have a great spiritual walk with God, so we can help somebody else in their journey with the Lord. Amen. And so we have a missions month, and we emphasize, let's support more missionaries. Let's pray for missionaries. Let's get more invested in missionaries. And that's great, but what about us? How invested are we in the propagation of the gospel? How involved are we in worldwide evangelism? But here we see Jonah, who was a reluctant missionary. And I want to just see a few things about him this morning and ask the Lord to speak to all of our hearts. You know, there's not a missionary conference that we have at this church that I don't tell the Lord, Lord, I've been pastoring Oh, almost, almost 30 years at Parkview in the ministry, almost 40 years, just shy about 18 months, I think. And I want to make those goals and go beyond that and serve the Lord. But, but I tell you what, every time we have a mission conference, I tell the Lord, Lord, if you want me to go mission field, I will. And lately, years ago, the Lord said, no, 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 I just want you to stay at Parkview. That's where I called you. Lately, he's saying, you're too old, you can't go to the mission field. That's, what, that's how I feel, but... But I'm willing, and I, every conference, I say, Lord, if you want Pam and I to do something else different, you let me know that, and I'll, I'll try to be obedient as I can be obedient. Amen. Where's your heart? What if God had a work for you to do? Are you willing to go and do what God's called you to do? And again, he can't call all of us. We all go, and there's no money to support other missionaries. There's no work done in Livonia. Of course God's not going to do that. But I believe in all my heart that there are some people God's been dealing with, maybe for a long time, that will not cut loose and serve God. I've known them. I've seen frustrated preachers through the years where they knew God called them years ago, and they didn't do what God told them to do, and they didn't do what God told them to do, and then they end up spending their life, not, not in worthless toil. I mean, they, made, they had jobs and careers and had businesses. All that's fine and good, but they didn't do what God told them to do. And there is a judgment seat. There will be shed tears. Is God speaking to anybody today? Are you a reluctant missionary? First of all, I want you to notice a word from God. We read it, Job chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, here's the word from God. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Here we see a man called of God. No mistake about it. Jonah was a called prophet of God. He was the right man for the right job at the right time, but Jonah was running from the perfect will of God. Now, some have contemplated, why did Jonah run? We don't know all the reasons. We know some of the reasons. Number one, I believe that he hated the Ninevites. The Ninevites were the sworn enemy of the Israelites. You know, like me, I'm a Michigan man, not an Ohio Buckeye man. I don't hate them. I really don't like them, but I don't hate them. But, you know, uh, Jonah, he did not hate the Ninevites. I mean, excuse me, he didn't love the He hated the Ninevites. 
They were a powerful and an evil people, the sworn enemy of Israel. Some have promoted this, thought this, that if Jonah had gone and preached to them, in his mind he's saying, well, what if they respond? He didn't want that. I mean, he hated them. But second of all, he didn't want them to be victorious and then him and the Israelites to be subservient to them, to be their servants. He didn't want that. And then, of course, we've all heard that they're barbaric practices. It's known that they were cannibalistic people. They would win. They would kill people and consume them. They ate their enemies. Jonah didn't want to be in their big pot of soup that night. And then his own fleshly desire. He was prejudiced toward them. He wanted his own way and not the Lord's will. And I know Christians say that they're prejudiced toward other people. And they ain't going to witness to them. They're prejudiced toward them. God help us. God loves the whole world. You know that? Wherever their background is, where their history is, what their color is, what their culture is, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Who are we to be prejudiced toward somebody else with the gospel? Jonah was prejudiced toward these people. This was last week. There was a Jewish holiday, some of you may know about it, Yom Kippur. It was on October 9th through the 10th. It's called the Day of Atonement for the Jewish people. Traditionally, the 10th day of the Jewish New Year is Yom Kippur. It's a 24-hour period. And in this 24-hour period, it's a day of repentance for sins. This literally means wrestling with Sin and their soul. I don't know if you knew this, but it's a remembrance of Jacob's wrestling with the Lord in Genesis chapter 32. You see, Jacob had been running from God a long time, and he had a wrestling match with God. Now, the Jews say that he had a wrestling match with an angel, but the scripture says it was a man. But specifically, in verse 30, let me read it for you, in Genesis 32, he said he was wrestling with God. In verse 30 of chapter 32, it says uh, these words, And Jacob called the name of the place Penel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. You remember that wrestling match? What did God do? He touched him. He touched his thigh, the hollow of his thigh. And from that day forward, he couldn't run. He's dragging that leg the rest of his life. You know, I, I know some people, God's called them, and they've been running from God. You know what God does with those people? He still works with them. He still calls them. He's still gracious with them. He's still merciful. He's still long-suffering. Aren't you glad for the long-suffering? You know, God will do what he has to do to get a hold of a servant. In this Bible, he put him in the belly of a whale. And he still was rebellious. He's sitting in that dark, damp, dreary stomach of a whale. He's got seaweed all over him, slime all over him. He can't see a thing. It stinks like fish. I mean, it stinks like crud. And he still don't get it. God worked him over three days, three nights. That's the type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not the crud, but three days and three nights in the belly of a whale or a fish. The Gospels tell us it was a whale. The story says it was a great fish. But God was working his prophet over. Trying to show him, you're not going to run from me, boy. You know, there's something about me that may be different from you. Maybe a lot of you are just like me, but I fear God. One of the reasons I surrendered to the Lord's work, I feared God. 
He was working on me and I was trying to run away from him. I, bought, I was trying to buy a new house so I could get myself indebted so I couldn't do what God called me to do. But then God reminded me I had two little babies. And I feared God. He said, oh, God wouldn't do that. Listen, I had enough sense to fear God. And I cut out and said, okay, God. He said, God doesn't work that way. How do you know? I see in the Bible God deal with his servants in very peculiar ways. And so these Jews, every year, they have this Yom Kippur. And you know what they do? They read the book of Jonah in its entirety. Isn't that interesting? You know what God was, I think, saying to these Jews, although they don't get a whole lot of what they do, although many of their feasts and festivals are all about scriptural principles and truths. You see, because they're blinded, the scripture tells us. But this Yom Kippur that just celebrated is the holiest day of the Jewish calendar. 24 hours supposedly of fasting and intensive prayer, worshiping in the synagogue, and they celebrate with a great feast. Why does God have them do that? He's trying to get a hold of their hearts. And he has them read the book of Jonah. You know what Jonah shows those Jews is this. God loves even Jonas. But God, bigger than that, he loves Ninevites. And one thing about these Yom Kippur, one of the big things about Jewish people is they don't want to do anything negative toward anybody else. They don't want to judge anybody else. They don't want to say anything is wrong. You know why? Because they saw God save a bunch of Ninevites that didn't deserve it. And that's a story to them that they don't even get. You and I are saved. We're born again. We're the children of God. God's been good to us. And we still say no to God. We're just a bunch of Ninevites. I didn't deserve grace. I didn't deserve forgiveness. I didn't deserve the call of God on my life. I didn't deserve the privilege of being in his ministry all these years. God's good to this preacher. God's been good to many of you. How come you keep running from God? These Jews at Yom Kippur, they traditionally light four candles by the head of each household. They, they were pretty restrictive in past years. It was a male head. And in recent years, it's a head of a household because some women are heads of household due to divorce and, and certain situations. But they light one candle to celebrate the holy day of Yom Kippur. They, they light another candle in memory of their deceased parents. And a lot of times, the Jewish people, before Yom Kippur, like the eighth, they all go to the cemetery and they all visit their relatives that are passed and they honor them in that way. The third reason why they light another candle, they, they light a candle in the synagogue to worship God. The Bible says in Isaiah 49, 6, he said, I will give, ye, give, I will give for light. They use that term. And they interpret it being with light. So we've got to light a lot of candles in our house because God said so. They, they don't get it, but they light these candles for that purpose, to, to worship God. But lastly, the one candle lit is post-Shabbat or post-Sabbath. You know what that's used for? To remind them they can light a fire again, cook some food, stop fasting, and celebrate their relationship with God. Now, one of the main tenets of Yom Kippur for the Jews is that they need to repent. That's what they do. They're supposed to have a day of repentance, a day of prayer, a day of fasting, a day of focusing on... But here's the big one. And they don't get it. They read the book of Jonah, but they don't get it. Stop running from God. You know, I can tell you that story and say, oh, those, those Jewish people, they shouldn't do that. Well, what about us? Who know the grace of God and the goodness of God. And God's called us. He tapped on our shoulder. Said, hey, I, I want you. I was preaching at Kenneville years ago. 
And, you know, I was a young preacher, energetic, trying to do right. And, and, and I, I just, this came to my mind. I was telling people at the end of a sermon, I was trying to be real, you know, go get it. And I said, now, I was talking about, you know, somebody coming up to you and taking their finger and saying, now, you listen to me. And I said this. I said, if God has spoke to your heart today, if God has stuck his finger up your nose, you better do something about it. And I didn't realize I said it that way. And I went just like that. If God has stuck his finger in your nose, but I said up your nose, I didn't mean to say that. It just came out. And, and, I, I, and I emphasized it. And the whole crowd, I mean, more than you, they were, I lost. I, I didn't even have an invitation. They were done. They were rolling in the aisles. They were, but I want to tell you today, if God is saying to you, hey, listen to me. Listen, Pastor Brown. Stop being a reluctant missionary. Stop being a, a, a church member at Parkview, and you're not called to be a preacher, and you're not called to be an evangelist. You're not called to be a missionary. No, no, no. But you're called to use your gift in this local church for the glory of God and the good of these brothers and sisters in Christ. Quit running from God. You got gifts. You got abilities. You got talents. What are you doing with them? Amen. Well, those Jews, they don't even know what they're doing. That Yom Kippur, they read that book, Jonah, every year. God's, you know what God's shown us there, too, every year with Yom Kippur? He's not done with the Jews. They're his chosen people. They're going to rule and reign. The church, we are the engrafted body of Christ. And God wants us to be used for his honor and glory. Young people, I know you might have some plans. There's nothing wrong with plans. But what about God's work? Do you ever think of that? Oh, no, preacher, don't preach that to my kids. I don't want them all scattered all over the world. I want them to make good livings, and I want them to make money and a big house and extra things. That's what I want for my kids. What if God doesn't want that? What if God wants your kid on a mission field? What if wants you? Hey, Grandma and Grandpa, what if God wants your grandchildren to serve God? Well, I don't know. I, that's tough. It is tough. But what about God's will? You see, this life only lasts so long. This, we're focusing on this life. This is nothing. Are you running from God? The man called of God was Jonah. The message delivered. He said, go cry against it. Preach the bidding that I have given you. He says, for this reason, for their wickedness has come up before me. You know God knows what's going on in this world. Let me let you in a little secret. President Trump is not going to save our world. I, either is Vice President Pence. Oh, he gets knocked out, we get Pence. He's a Christian. God is sovereign. God knows what he's doing. He's even let some other people be in office that I don't even, I can't even get why God allowed that. But see, we get all worked up about this son. God knows the wickedness of the world. God knows where our country's going. God knows where this world's going. He's a great God. He's an all-knowing God. He's an all-powerful God. Shouldn't we be concerned about these things, Pastor? Absolutely. Pray. We're supposed to pray for those in authority. We're supposed to support righteousness. We're supposed to live godly in this present world. Amen. All those things are important. But don't forget, God is sovereign. And God's calling. But are we listening? 
He wants us to preach a message to this world of righteousness, of salvation, of Jesus Christ. That's what he wants. Now Jonah, God said, I want you to go preach judgment. This denotes a few things in the heart and mind of Jonah at that time. I had to, I'd wonder myself. It denotes courage because remember, he's going to a very vile and violent people. He knew they were, he knew they were headhunters. He knew they were cannibalistic. Every mission conference that comes, I say, Lord, do you want me? I guarantee you this. I'm not saying, God, please send me to a bunch of cannibals. I, don't, I would like to go to the cannibal tribe. We had a missionary a few years ago. Remember that he was called to the pygmies? Remember that guy? And he went over there and started some churches among the pygmies. God's never called me to be a pygmy preacher. I mean, I could really, I could hold their attention. There used to be a little preacher that preached around here years ago, Bobby Brindle. He was a midget. He was a millionaire midget, and he had carpet industries back in Dalton, Georgia, and he surrendered into a camp meeting to preach. And he's just a little guy. He preached here. He preached here at this church years ago. Bobby Brennan, just a little short guy, full-grown man, little midget. Do you know why God used him? He would go preach crusades, and all the people would come out to see this little midget preach, and he would preach with fire. I remember the time he preached here. There was a, some flowers arrangement on the table here, and he was preaching in the microphone stands, and he was talking about, he was, i never forget, he, he was talking about Moses being caught up, get, found in the bulrushes, and he got down there in those flowers, and he's saying, you know, his sister was looking for him in that, in that ark, and he got in those flowers and went. <laughs> I'll never forget that. That little midget. He was used of God greatly because when he went to the inner cities and he went preaching these crusades, people went to see the midget preach. And boy, did he preach. God used him. Thousands of people were saved through his ministry. You know, God will use anybody. He'll preach tall people, short people, big people like me, skinny little people. God just wants us to surrender to his will for our life. Let me ask you a question. Who are you preaching to? Who are you sharing the gospel with? Who have you sat down and said, let me show you something in the Bible. When's the last time? You know, oftentimes we're the reluctant missionary. We don't even see it. It took courage for Jonah to do it, and he didn't have enough of it. Plus he was prejudiced. Plus he didn't want to do it. So what did he do? He paid the fare thereof. He got on a ship and he sailed away thinking, I got out of that. But God had a great city, wicked people, people that offended God. But you know that multitude in need, God still loved. And I look at this world today and I say, man, look at all this. Our forefathers would have, they, they wouldn't believe what we're dealing with today in this generation. And folks, another 10 years, if the Lord tarries, another 20, where will we be? We have no idea. No idea. But you know God loves sinners. God loved the Ninevites, that great city, over a million people. He loved them in spite of their wickedness. He loved them even though they had offended him. And he sent his man to preach to them. Our world's in great number. You know, there's 7.55 billion people on the face of the earth. According to Ecology Global Network, 151,000 people die every day. 6,316 every hour. Get this one. 105 people die every minute, two every second. The Bible says in Isaiah 59, 2, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, 
and your sin have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Hebrews 9.27 is it appointed to men once to die, but after this, the judgment. 1 John 5.19, and we know that uh, we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. That's our world today. All 700.55 billion people. God loves them. Our world's in great wickedness. Our world's a great offense to God. Same as in Jonah's day. Amen? So that's the word from God. i got to get this done. The word with God. And we can't go to all these verses. Jonah chapter 1, verse 3 through 2 chapter, verse 10. But I'll just give you a breakdown here. Here we see that God knew what it would take to get his reluctant missionary to face his responsibility and do the work of God. Here's what he did. Look at verse 4. Go back to Jonah chapter 1. Look at verse 4. It says this. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was likened to be broken. He's hiding out in the ship, and God sent a great wind. For time's sake, he sent a great tempest, verse 12. He sent a great fish in verse 17. You know, God will do great catastrophes to get a hold of us, if that's what it takes. I think sometimes saints say, well, why did this happen, and how could this happen? You know, sometimes we don't have the answer to those questions. We certainly don't. God does. The Bible says the secret things belong to the Lord. But you know, sometimes I think some of us are so hard-hearted and so hard-headed that God has to do some extreme things to get our attention. The preacher, are you saying this? No, I'm not saying anything. I'm saying that God has done some very unusual things to get a hold of his men and women. I think of Balaam. He wasn't in God's word. God took, God, took a, God took a donkey, a jackass, to get his attention. And what amazes me is he had a conversation with that donkey for a little bit until he realized, wait a minute, this donkey's talking to me. And I think sometimes there are some of God's people. God's talking to you. Wait, wait a minute. God's been talking to me. Oh, duh. That's right. When are some of us going to get it? A reluctant preacher captured by God. A reluctant preacher cornered by God. What's God do? He puts him in the belly of a whale. Verses 5 through 17, chapter 1. He's in that belly of a whale. And God's dealing with him. And then, this is an interesting thing. God even used and convinced and tried to convict Jonah with the mariners and the shipmaster. What's that all about? You know, God will even use lost people to do his bidding. You know, there's been times where God's rebuked me by just watching some lost people the way they live their life. And I said, well, man, they did that was wisdom. and They did that good. We think God only, you know, God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. God so loved the world, God's good to this world. And sometimes the world's ways can teach us some things. But God will go way out of his way, even use lost people and catastrophes to get our attention. I preached a message years ago, Jonah had a whale of a problem. He sure did. And the whale of a problem with Jonah was he was prejudiced. And he was prideful. But most of all, he was rebellious towards God's call on his life. Jonah had to make some decisions and some choices, and his choice was disobedience. His choice was selfishness. 
His choice was to rebel against the known will of God. The providential hand of God was used to convict Jonah in the belly of that whale. God was trying to bring that man back to full understanding of God's ways. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 8, the double-minded man, what's he? He's full of his own ways. I don't know about you, but I've been saved now for 46 years. I'm still full of my ways. And God sometimes got to knock me upside the head. God sometimes got to get my attention. And I'm a preacher. My goodness. I don't know why I'm confessing my sin to you. But we're moving on. A reluctant preacher was conquered by God. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I'd love to preach all this, but note this statement. It says, then Jonah prayed. <laughs> then Jonah prayed. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord out of the fish's belly. You see, it took the whale and the darkness and the stench and the seaweed to finally get a hold of him. But he really didn't get a hold of him. Temporarily, he got a hold of him. And God did an interesting thing. The Bible said that God took Jonah and vomited him out on the dry land. For people that are a little bit more dignified, he regurgitated Jonah on the, on the shore. And he went into Nineveh with that same message. God didn't change the message, but he changed the messenger. You often wonder, why did those people respond? Well, here's this guy in the belly of a whale. And by the way, you can look into historical records, and there have been people swallowed by a whale. Don't let this world tell you it hadn't happened. It happened many times. Look it up. And some of them lived, and some of them survived, and all that. Don't tell them, his stomach, his mouth's not big enough, his stomach. Ah. God prepared a great fish. He created a great fish. I think it's so interesting, the timing of God. Just when Jonah thought he was getting away with them, those mariners say, we can't keep you on this boat anymore, dude. And they threw him over, and God had already dispatched this whale that he created. I don't know where he dispatched it, but the timing was perfect. Here goes Jonah. Ah, help me, help me. Bump. And he was in that jail, that well, that fish, that whale for three days, and God was working on him. And then God said, okay, whoop. And he walked into Nineveh. I think, he was, I think he was an albino man, personally. I think that stomach juices had just bleached him. He's gooey, gobby, ugly-looking, albino-looking man. Didn't probably have any clothes. All the stomach juices probably took them all off. Here's this naked guy running into Nineveh. Repent, repent. I think that got their attention, don't you? I mean, God used him as a, as a lesson here. Don't run from me. This is what's going to happen to you. Oh, I don't want to go. But he preached the message that God had bid him, and he was successful. The whole city came to God. But you know, Jonah, even though God did that great thing and gave him an opportunity to get out of that whale and go on and serve God, he wasn't happy about it. Read the rest of the story. Jonah had feelings of despair, hopelessness. He had, uh, he had an important decision to make. And here's what he said in the belly. Listen, he said, but I will, and he said sacrifice, and I will pray to God in the belly. And I have vowed. Hey, Jonah made some decisions, but when he got out, he went reluctantly to that city. And he preached because he had to. He knew he had to. He didn't want to. 
And then when God blessed them and used them, you know what God did? Here we see a word from God. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Thank God for a second, second opportunity, second chances. But he went. The second chance, the command, the opportunity, he went. Reluctantly, he went. God had given him some new hope and a new insight and a new life. He's resurrected from death. And he goes back to Nineveh. And God's dealing with him. And then we see the word about God, chapter 4. God's a sympathetic God, verses 1 through 5. Jonah disobeyed and ran from God's orders. But then the Bible says, then said the Lord. That said, God didn't quit speaking to Jonah when he went in that whale. And God didn't quit speaking to Jonah when he came out of that whale. And God knew his heart. He was only doing what God, what he had to, not because he wanted to. Jonah didn't have the love of God for the Ninevites. He still hated them. He's still afraid. He's still prejudiced toward them. But he went. I mean, he didn't want to stay in that belly. And he went. But he went reluctantly. And he went. You know, and although Jonah was going in the right direction now, he's still running from God. You know what I know? There are people in this auditorium. You look all cleaned up, nice, and you come to church. We're in church today. And many of us will be back tonight, Pastor Brown. And we'll even be here on Wednesday night. Yeah, but what are you inside? It look pretty good. Amen. Get your big old King James Bible. Come in here. Amen. Yeah, that's right. Praise God. What are you doing for God? What's your heart like? You serving God because you have to? You serving God because God made you? When we serve God out of heart of love, the love he had for Ninevites, the love he had for us and has for us, even though we're reluctant. God is a very sympathetic God, but God is a sovereign God, and he's going to have his way. You fight God all you want, but listen, if he wants you to do something, you're going to get there. Now, don't let that scare you. Oh, no, Pastor Brown's a hyper-Calvinist. Come on. But I'm going to tell you something. God's sovereign. I want to be in his program. You say, preacher, how can we tell that Jonah was all that? Well, Afterwards, he preached, and they got saved, and he went and sat underneath a tree, or sat on the hillside, and then their gourd came up, verse 6. God prepares a gourd. And he loves his gourd, and that gourd shades him, and he's very happy with his farming abilities. And then God prepared a worm, didn't he? And the worm got in the gourd and did its job, what worms do. And God then prepared a vehement uh, east wind, verse 8 of chapter 4. And God's still working on a reluctant missionary. Because he's sitting there, he's mad at God. And you see, we, we could do the series with this, but we've got to move on. Well, I'm almost done. God had to do some amazing things in the life of this reluctant missionary to even give him to the place where he does what he told him to do, but he's not happy about the outcome. I think sometimes we don't witness to people because we're afraid... Well, they get saved, they're going to come to church, and I'm expected, am I going to disciple them or something? I'm going to invite them over to my house or something? No, come on. I'm going to have to get to know them. And I think sometimes we're afraid they get to know us. Ooh, that's a different message. Because we look pretty sanctified coming to church, but how are we Monday through Saturday? Do we love God as much as we say? Do we serve God as much as we? Are we as separated as we say we are? 
God knows. Others don't. Don't get too close. So he's upset God saved these Ninevites. I mean, how could you be upset that God saved people? But he surely was. But here, see lastly, God's saving grace. Look at chapter 4, 10 and 11, and I'll wrap it up. Then the Lord said, Thou shalt have pity on the gourd, for when thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, and came up in a night, which came up in a night, and perished in a night, and should not I have spared Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between the right hand or the left hand, and also much cattle? Now, I so said there's approximately a million people in that city but 120,000 were young people that didn't know their right hand from their left. God's a very gracious God. That was the future of that city and that civilization. And God looked down and loved and he saved their soul. Now the last word, the story of Jonah is a story of grace and forgiveness. God has given grace to Jonah but you know what? Sometimes we're like Jonah in the fact that we could care less what God wants. We're going to continue to be prejudiced. and We're going to, be, we're going to continue to be fearful. We're going to continue to go opposite way than God wants us to go. We're going to continue to be disobedient to the call of God. But most of all, I think this lesson teaches us that God is so grieved with his servants that won't yield won't yield. Many, I think, Pastor Williams was teaching in Sunday school, did a good lesson today on legalism, what it is and what it's not. And we get all our ducks in a row. We're the Christians, everybody we want to know or think we are. But God knows our inner self. God help us to get over ourselves. God help us today to do God's business. Amen before we have a well of a problem. So I speak today to all of us as fellow Jonas. What does God have to do to get our attention concerning worldwide evangelism? Are we going to get in? Are we going to get, not just support a missionary monetarily, not just pray for a missionary, send a note to say, go visit even a, a missionary, but to be missionaries ourselves in this world that needs Jesus Christ, to obey him, and here's what God wants from us. His heart in us for the lost. God loves sinners, amen? And I'm glad he does. Because I can go back in my mind's eye and think the day that the Lord Jesus saved me. 31749 Rosslyn, Garden City, Michigan, upstairs bedroom. I got saved. And I didn't know anything, but I knew, I knew how to ask God to forgive me and save me. And everything changed. And out those walls, out those doors, are people in darkness, lost, need somebody to come by with a message. Are they just Ninevites to us? Are they just people that we don't want anything to do with? Is it too much to ask? Listen, I fear God. I don't want to have God have to deal with me in such a way that he gets my attention. I want to be sensitive to his spirit, especially concerning the Great Commission. Let's bow our heads if we would. We're done.
It's still early. You're going to get there before the Presbyterians do. Don't worry about it. Heads are